Um, so I was actually in the middle of a lift on my birthday, of all things. <laughs> and for the first time in my life, I don't know, something like inside me said, you better check your phone. Never done that before. And first thing I click, and I just see about 100 Instagram comments saying, good luck in New York. Um, just grabbed my phone, uh, waved off my strength coach. I was like, um, I got to go. And I was on the phone uh, two minutes later and finding out I'm going to be in New York. And quite a shock. Welcome to Talking Giants. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner. Coming to you with my co-host Justin Pennick, and we got a lot on the slate for today. We're going to talk about the inside linebacker crew. We're going to talk about Coach Chaos. And Justin, most importantly, we have an interview with maybe the best uh, offensive lineman on the New York Giants in some time, and Kevin Zeitler. How are you feeling about uh, releasing that? You know, Bobby, I'm pretty excited. This is my first player interview that I'm doing. Um, if there's one thing, i just thinking about this pre-show. There's one thing I forgot to ask Kevin Zeitler. I forgot to acknowledge his beautiful, soothing radio voice. And if he would ever consider starting a podcast with his fellow offensive lineman, that's something that I did forget to ask him. But second half for the show, you will be able to hear the soothing sound of Kevin Zeitler's beautiful voice. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll preface that when we get to it. Um, have, have some fun with it. But Justin, the New York Giants coaching staff is complete. And that happens with our man, Coach Chaos, a.k.a. Sean Spencer. He's become the defensive line coach. He coached the same position at Penn State. Um, and as I pull up his resume, he was with UMass as a D-line coach from 01 to 03, 2004. Holy Cross was the same position. Villanova linebacker, 05. Hofstra D-line, 06. UMass D-line and special teams coordinator, 2007 to 2008. Bowling Green coach, a D-line coach, 2009 to 2010. Vandy D-line coach, 11-13. And then for the last six years, he's been with Penn State as a defensive line coach in his longest stint in, in one spot. And listen, we don't want, we don't know like the ins and outs of these guys because there's just not that much access to college position coaches. But he's well-liked. He's uh, a ball of energy. And they got to call the guy Coach Chaos for a reason. Those Penn State practices over the years, I feel like since Penn State kind of went through their rebranding uh, post uh, post Bill O'Brien, we'll we'll just go with um, those practices have absolutely been insane, and they've been chaos, no pun intended. And I will say we were we were kind of comparing him to Roach and be like, okay, well we know that Roach was a ball of energy. I think chaos is uh, and and Sean Spencer. I think chaos is much more energetic. I, I don't know if he's as intent intense but i think he's much more energetic and kind of excited to see how that's going to play out in camp bobby this is our first episode where it's really like the now it's really the off season you know the super bowl's over and whatnot it's really the off season and i now i'm like getting really excited for camp and particularly now that this coaching staff is pretty much complete right chaos is the last hire yeah all the positions obviously you know assistants come along you know like jody wright uh, my good friend and Derek dooley and guys like that but as far as positional coaches, yeah, it's, it's completely done. I mean, just seeing this staff and, you know, we've we've been talking about this staff as it's been, you know, as it's been put together and kind of just analyzing from a very big, you know, big picture stance about what this staff is and who they are. They're going to bring energy and it's going to be fun to watch them work over training camp. It's going to be fun to watch them work over the summer and the spring with these guys uh, and see what they have to say about, you know, a lot of young guys that are going to be hopefully coming in, a lot of new faces that are going to be coming in for this football team. And, uh... 
chaos definitely does bring that. A couple of two things that I found about uh, Sean Spencer that's kind of significant. He was he played safety division two at Clarion University. Do you know where that is? I've never heard of Clarion University. The division two schools are like weird where you All never right. re, you never hear Cl- of them. Clarion or Clarion? Oh, it's C L A R I O N. I have been known to be a bad pronunciator of words. Okay, I'm going to say Connecticut. Connecticut. That's a great guess. A lot of weird schools are always put in Connecticut, and nobody knows where they are. So that's a good guess. Um, where is it? I don't. I don't know. We'll. we'll oh, we'll this. Well, I thought this was trivia. Clarion no. College. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. No, it's univer- It's Clarion University. It's not college. It could be two very different things. Two very different things. How are you going to give me a trivia question without the answer? I was. That it's was not Pen- a trivia it's in, question. It's in Pennsylvania, which probably would have been my second or third guess. Mm, another, another, another state where nothing happens. And then my, then my other fun fact about him, other than he played safety in college, is that he has a connection to Eric Mangini. And really, this is only his. This is really his only pro connection that we could find because this is his technically his first pro job. But during his during his uh, Mangini's time with the Jets in 06, he spent a summer. Uh, as a coaching intern with Gang Green, but also think th- think about this. Back he had Gang Green early... while he was a coaching intern. Excuse me. You said he was a coaching intern with Gang Green. Gang and, Green uh... is the disease. Oh, it is. Yeah, you didn't know that. No, I did not know that. I just have to. I have to freaking do everything on this show. You have, to, you have to do all, everything. From... All all the facts. You look that up, and I'm going to tell you this fun fact about how uh, Spencer could have had a job in the early 1990s with Eric Mangini in uh, in Cleveland. So Death of body tissue due to either lack of blood flow or a serious bacterial infection. Gangrene commonly affects the extremities, including your toes, fingers, and limbs, but it can also occur in your muscles and internal organs. That sucks. So, But he, uh, Sean Spencer was not an intern for that disease. He was an intern for the New York Football Jets. Clarify um, for the listeners. I'm just, I'm just saying. Thank you, thank you. He had an opportunity to go on Bill Belichick's staff with the Cleveland Browns in the early 1990s, but the organization decided that they wanted someone local in Ohio for the position, and not someone who would eventually have the nickname Chaos. So that sums up the Browns. Well, we'll we just go with someone local. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we don't know a ton about him. Like I said, he seems to be a ball of energy. That he's gonna like force his guys to work hard. In an interview, he said talked about teaching, which pretty much every coach I've been able to find some kind of video of them talking about being teachers, which obviously Joe Judge emphasized in his presser. Um, he's the only one that doesn't have some kind of connection to Joe Judge or Jason Garrett, which is pretty interesting. He was like the last minute, last like Hail Mary stretch of you you would think, and I, I you know, I'm not we're not in the building, so we don't really fully know this, but with Roach leaving and how long it took between Roach leaving and this hire, you would think that, you know, this probably was not their first choice. Well, Freddie Roach was the first choice. Good point. <laughs> All right. Um, Mr. Jump, jump Around Jobs, Freddie Roach. Yeah, so he's going to be working with, you know, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Thomason, Leonard Williams, possibly B.J. Hill, that group. So hopefully he can get the most out of that group, which – you know, if we bring Leonard Williams back, might be our best like overall position group. Justin, we expect Dexter Lawrence to make a year two jump. Dalvin Thomason was arguably the MVP of the defense this season, and Leonard Williams. You know, you know, we know the talent that he is. You know, regardless of what you think of the trade, like there's no there's no doubting that he's a, a pretty good talent and has had some. You know, this year wasn't great, but he's had he had you know Pro Bowl All Pro years. So 
he's a talent. And then BJ Hill, we, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with him. So hopefully he can get the best out of that group and focusing with them. So I'm, I, and I'm just excited for a coach that is named coach chaos. This is true. Oh, also another bald positional coach. It's unbelievable. It's, and people are starting to catch on every time there's a bald guy. It's like, look, I know, Another baldy. It's, I think that's that's also a product of coaching. A lot of coaches are just bald. But uh, I've gotten I've gotten that's some. Why flack I couldn't be on... a coach? I have gray hair. <laughs> this is investigative journalism. I don't care what anybody says. This is this is my contribution to the New York Football Giants and to people who cover the Giants. I don't I don't care about your sound bites. I don't care about your philosophy. I care about if there are if there's common ties that this coaching staff has and that common ties is that they are bald and they can uh find solidarity together about all being uh hairless. Probably have very hair, hairy bodies though. And being jealous of me that that's something they all have in common cuz I'm just going to say the hair is good on my head. All right. Justin, do you want to talk about the inside linebacker crew before we kick it to old big, big old Kevin Zeitler? You know, I would love to talk about the interior linebacker crew, except for one person on this list. Well, this is an this will probably be the most negative we speak about a position group. And let's start with the negative. Alec Ogletree, 28 years old, second year with the Giants, 6'2", 235 pounds, El Capitone of the defense. And Justin, <laughs> before we even get into who he is and what kind of players do you see him on the 2020 let's get this bread giants roster if he is i will start a talking giants podcast screaming for the first 30 seconds well I, the only way i could see it is because you know we do have the cap space and as if there's like why are we because people want red ellison cut it's like well why would we cut red ellison if we're not going to use that cap space anyway so that's the only thing that I could see with him, um, and you know, right now his contract would be eleven point seven million. If you cut him, that's three and a half mil and dead cap, which would save us eight point two five million in cap space. Woo! And then in twenty twenty one, yeah, that he he is the cutting that makes the most sense cap wise. So I don't see him being on the roster either, um, and I don't really see them being a trade partner for Al Gogoltree either. In twenty twenty one, it'd be ten point seven five with the dead cap. He would save nine million. So. Uh, yeah, I don't see him being on this roster one, just cause he's not very good. He's just not, he's slow. He can't get off blocks. He's horrible in coverage. It seemed like him and, uh, Bethea were the, the sole reason for plenty of touchdowns over the middle. He had, you know, one interception, one sack, four tackles for a loss. He, you know, he started a 13 games, 80 tackles. I mean, this, this was probably Alec Ogletree's worst season. And he just looked bad out there. He just didn't add much to this team. Now, granted, he he deserved to start every, almost every game because that's how bad this Giants linebacker crew is with injuries. But uh, he he started 13 games, or he's you know he started what was it 12 games? Because there was one game he didn't uh, uh, he didn't play. So yeah, I just I'm very negative on Al Kogutri. I thought he him I think I think he could have been the worst player on the defense, and that includes corners. Um, and Antoine Bethea. I think he might have been the worst player on the defense. Yeah, I, I think this is Dave Gettleman's worst move. I mean, if you want to, you know, I, I think the Jonathan Stort move, if everyone wants to point to that, people want to point to Nate Solder for whatever reason, even though I don't think that's very logical. Well, um, with Jonathan Stewart, it was like, yeah, it's definitely not a good move, but it doesn't cost much. Correct. Whereas Alec Ogletree was a trade. Like, as bad as the move Jonathan Stewart was, it really doesn't affect anything. Yeah, they could have had a little more cap space for 2019, but 
I mean, what were they like? Who were they going to go out and get? There now, there's some guys they could have got, but like you could say Trey Boston, but they went out and got Antoine Bethea. So that if they wanted Trey Boston, they could have got him in the first place. So with but with Stewart, it's like, what else are you going to do? And Solder, as bad as he's been, it was kind of like a a must a must like do move. No, and that's and that's my point and why I bring that up because I know a lot of people do typically talk about. You know, uh, either those moves or or another move as Dave Gettleman's worst moves. But I consider this Alec Ogletree trade to be the worst um, simply because there was no other depth around him and around that interior linebacker spot. And even in 2018, Bobby, he was bad. And he if you look, (laughs) I'm not even going to say if you if you actually watched the game film, if you actually looked, but. He was bad in 2018, and people just because, what did he have, five interceptions, and he had maybe one or two return for a touchdown, he made like a a few flashy plays, that that's why he was worthy of being on this football team, and he was was a worthy football player, and also because he has the C on his chest. I mean, we've known since even before he was traded to the New York Giants, the fact that he would miss the most tackles out of the entire league. All the linebackers in the National Football League, Al Gogletree would have the most missed tackles. He was he's been terrible in coverage ever since his days in St. Louis before they even moved to Los Angeles. That's how long that he's been inadequate at football. Now I said this, Bobby. I said this over the summer when we were doing so when we were previewing every single Giants player over on Bleeding Blue. I said, this guy is bad. He is not good at football. He has no situational awareness. Uh Carl Banks. Uh, talked about this season when he was analyzing this Giants defense. Carl Banks would like to say on the radio how when talking about zone coverage, you don't cover necessarily the area, but you cover the men in your area. And that's something that Alec Ogletree and Antoine Bethea could never understand, and they can never really get in chemistry, get in sync with each Mind other numbing. at all. Mind-numbing how many times. Just, Ogletree would just have his his feet stuck in concrete and zone coverage and would never, like, like you said, would never turn his zone into man. I mean, it was just unbelievable that they could never figure that out. And it started in week one against the Cowboys, and it just it didn't really get any better. Um, he had the the one play where he mossed uh, Mitch, on the Mitchell Trubisky throw where he just mossed the guy in the end zone. Basically, that was kind of it for him. I think he might have had a, uh, a good game against the Patriots, which I'll, I will, I'll talk about, you know, those good flashes when we get to David Mayo. But, yeah, it's just he doesn't add much to his team now. To cut him, you have to go out and get guys. You can't just be like, ah, let's run with what we got. You have to go and get guys, whether that's Isaiah Simmons in the draft, whether it's like someone like Corey Littleton in free agency, because you can't just run out there with Ryan Connolly and David Mayo, because that's just that just cannot be an option for the Giants. Yeah, we talked about this when we were talking about the hiring of Kevin Scherer, who's our new interior linebackers coach, and we were and I asked, you know, Bobby, does Kevin Scherer have the toughest job out of all of the positional coaches on the team and you said other than offensive line coach just because those offensive line coaches how you know just every offensive line coach in the league is scrutinized to such a high level but because of the lack of talent you know the only guy that we know for a fact is going to be on the football team next year for the Giants at interior linebacker and at the linebacker spot is Ryan Conley and he's coming off a torn ACL um but really you know Alec Ogletree I think you you have to you have to move on from him, not only because of the cap benefits that that will bring you. Where the Giants, that uh, I feel, I feel like the Giants are in the top echelon of the league in terms of how much cap space they have compared to the rest of the league. But for a quarterback that's on his rookie deal, they're not as high as you would think. 
So that's I I would still like to have some cap room going in, you know, for for this offseason. Al Gogotree would be a nice a nice uh I really don't like calling for people's jobs, but he's just been absolutely terrible. Um and why I'm so passionate about him being so bad and my I I don't hate I really don't hate players, but I hate is an extremely extremely strong word, but Al Gogotree very he flirts that line for me because of the fact that people defended him heading into 2019 when I was like, yeah, well, this guy just is flat out not good. So because of Giants Twitter, uh, it made my hatred for Alec Ogletree that much stronger. There I said it. Hatred. <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, I wasn't as low as, as you were on him. But, yeah, it's – and he played worse in 2019 than he did 2018, at least from what I saw. So, yeah, I, I don't see him being on this team. And that leads us to the next guy, and Justin, that's David Mayo. Now, he was signed – and everyone was like, who is this guy? This Panthers retread, another Panthers retread from Dave Gettleman. And Justin, people like David Mayo, who was six foot two, 245 pounds, 26 years old, who finished the season with 80 tackles, five tackles for a loss and two sacks. A lot of people like him, including uh, your friends. I won't mention them by name. But David Mayo stinks. <laughs> David Mayo flat out stinks. And the only time him... And Al Ogletree had good games. Was when teams like the Patriots just pounded the ball in the inside, right at Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson and uh, B.J. Hill. B.J. Hill, yeah, is when they just pounded it right at those guys, and that was stupid of teams. I don't understand why teams did that. When teams like the Vikings or teams like the Cardinals ran the ball outside and did it well, it was because their tight ends and their tackles could seal our inside linebackers, and that was Ogletree and Mayo. They were horrible at that. That was the only time they had good games is when teams would just pound the rock right up the middle, Pat Shermer style on us. Uh, there, you got it out of me. I threw a stone at Pat Shermer. LOL. Um, and the only other good game Mayo had was when Ryan Connolly was leading the way, and I don't want to talk about Connolly too much uh, until we get to him, when Ryan Connolly was just busting through people and David Mayo could clean up. I'm telling you, David Mayo stinks. He's bad. He's horrible in coverage. Like, think of one play where he made good in coverage. You can't. He had some, like, decent, like, pass rushes, but, like, they weren't, they were mostly, like, covered sacks um, out of his two sacks. He wasn't, like, great pass moves. He doesn't get off blocks. I mean, he's, he's not good. Uh, I don't want him anything more than, at, at worst, the number three inside linebacker. And at best, I would, I would love him to be the fourth guy off the bench. I can't disagree with anything that you said, Bobby. The only thing I will point out, is next to Michael Thomas, uh, he is the best form tackler on the team. Uh, when he did make those plays in the running game, and there there were there were a lot of plays that he made in the running game. Now, this isn't to say that he had a great season, unlike you know uh, some some at pro Any football inside focus, linebacker like who say. plays thirteen games should have a lot of plays in the running game. It's like yeah. it just comes with it. Just ha- if I Justin, if you started thirteen games inside linebacker, you'd have some good plays in uh, in the run game. I highly doubt that if it was me starting an interior linebacker. But now you see, I'm thinking I'm going to give him more credit for being better in the running game than you are because I do remember there being times where just runners would be going downhill and he would be able to make plays and he would be able to make tackles, efficient tackles, wrap up, uh, not, not, getting, not allowing guys to get a lot of yards after contact, which I thought that was good. But, Bobby, let me ask you this because I'm not disagreeing with really anything that you're, that you're saying. But for a guy that we literally signed off the street, right? You know, Dave Gettleman retread. But for the fact that Ryan Conley tore his ACL, Alec Ogletree absolutely stinks. 
B.J. Goodson was traded to the Packers because he basically disappeared during training camp and nobody knows what happened to him. Training camp in the preseason. And Tay Davis, who we thought was a little bit better, but then he was, you know, he wound up being cut. You know, for for a guy that comes in after all of these names that I just gave you, do you give him more credit in that regard because of where he kind of came from and how far down the pecking pole, uh, so to speak, how far we had to go to get him? Not really because they cut a guy like Tate Davis who had talent, who had speed, who had played only one year of linebacker in college after transitioning from safety. And in his games, like against when he started against Dallas, Tate Davis played pretty good for a, a defense that played overall horribly. Yeah. Um, and then he lost the starting job to uh, Connolly in week two against Buffalo. And then when uh, he came in and Ogletree got hurt, Tay Davis played well. Tay Davis played pretty well for the Giants football team. Yet, for some reason, he was cut. It just made no sense that he was cut. And, you know, a guy like Jose Toefa, who I, I like, it's like he could have snuck him to the practice squad. And, and credit to the Browns for picking up Tay Davis off waivers. So that's why I don't give him much credit is because they cut a guy like Tay Davis when they could have moved him above him. So, um, so it's so it's more or less for you. It's more or less like an organizational problem rather than like a David Mayo problem. Yes, David Mayo should not be starting over Tay Davis. It just that that was basically it for me. It's like okay, they're they're t- cutting Tay Davis to keep David Mayo as a starting inside linebacker, and that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and part of my problem with David Mayo is everyone said he played good, and he just he did not play good. And it's very similar to me with Alec Ogletree. Everybody said that he was great, and that's what made me hate him even more. So look at that. Or same motion, different boat. How about that? Yeah. All right. So let's talk. Let's do a little positive talk. Ryan Connolly, the 24 year old cat out of Wisconsin, who our interview is with, Ooh. 6'2", 242 pounds out of the fifth round. He started three games, Justin, and then tore the ACL, which was really sad because he was playing very well. He had 20 tackles. Two tackles for a loss and six and one one sack and two interceptions. And Justin, it wasn't like, oh, he just had some like lucky stats. Cause the interception, like the interception thing is like, okay, like one was a horrible Jameis Winston throw and the other was a tip pass from Janoris Shane. So I'm not being like, this guy is just an interception hawk. No, I uh I actually have something to say about that interception against Washington. I have okay. something to say. But anyways, he plays aggressive. And that was something at Wisconsin when I watched this film after the Giants drafted him. It's like, my gosh, this cat plays aggressive. And he could play good in coverage. Like he, like he was going out and playing man-on-man with running backs who ran like 4-4-40s on go routes and was just going with them step for step. So he had the speed. Uh, on a 16-game pace, he would have had 96 tackles, five sacks, 11 tackles for a loss, and 11 interceptions. I'm not – the interceptions, obviously, that's very unrealistic. But, like, he was an exciting guy. And I know people are like, oh, you know, it was only three games. You can't – like, don't, don't fall into the hype. But the hype was everything we saw on tape out of college. So that's why I'm buying into the Ryan Connolly hype. The only thing that keeps me from getting too hyped is the fact that my man's coming off the torn ACL. Yeah, and uh, something that fantasy football research shows with guys coming off their torn ACL is that um, – or an ACL injury is that statistically they have their best seasons the second year after the injury – um, you look at Dalvin Cook being the prime example this year on the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, and even Marcus Golden showed it this year on the Giants. You know, this was his second year coming off his torn ACL. Uh, both of those guys had their career years. So, uh, you know, uh, in terms of 2020 expectations for Ryan Conley, we can talk more about that this summer in our PPPs, our player profile and projections. Uh, small sample size, but right now you have to feel excited simply because what what you saw 
in college, Bobby, like you said, what you saw in college and how we approached Ryan Conley in his 2019 season is that this kid was going to be a project. Despite there being a lack of talent at the interior linebacker spot, the expectation was Ogletree, Goodson, Tay Davis were going to kind of carry the load for the team this year. And unless and unless there was any kind of injuries, uh, then Ryan Conley would come in or he would make his way in towards the latter end of the season because he was seen as a project. So the fact that he was able to burst onto the scene in the small sample size and the, and the small way that he did, uh, that he was able to burst on the scene like he did. I think that was one of the biggest surprises of the season uh, and just seeing the value that hopefully we're going to be able to get out of Ryan Conley as a fifth-round pick and then Darius Slate in another uh, late late draft, late uh, NFL draft pick as well. Should be cra- you know Dave Gettleman should get some credit for that. But one thing I do want to say about Ryan Conley in terms of just like his ability as a football player, and and if you if we want to compare him to a guy like Alec Ogletree, maybe even B.J. Goodson too, um, or contrast. I, I want to we'll contrast him from those yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, contrast. Let's not compare. Um, but his his lack of false steps, like when the ball is snap. Like Bobby, you made some videos earlier in the season about how uh, Ryan Conley is always ball. He's a balls to the wall kind of guy, and you know as soon as that ball is snapped. He's able to see where the offensive linemen are moving, particularly on run plays. And the lack of any kind of false steps, I feel, is what has you know, what really separated Ryan Conley early in the season compared to the other linebackers that we have. So I want to I want to hear some of your thoughts on that. And then I have a thought on that interception against Washington in terms of his false steps. And then maybe we'll wrap up. No, I agree 100 percent. And that was the thing with him. It's like, OK, like he plays very aggressive. He's very instinctual. Um, he like has no fear at Wisconsin, but it's like, but does that translate to the NFL going against these offensive linemen? And it did from, I mean, from the preseason to day one, now it got himself in some, like, uh, it would force him to make some mistakes to his aggressiveness. Cause he would like, uh, overplay a block or underplay a block. Uh, but overall it's like that stuff is beautiful to see. The only really knock on Connolly is that he's not that strong. Um, there was times like I remember uh, a play in particular, Frank Gore, the goal line just blew him up. Right. Yes. And just pancaked him. So that's the only thing. But listen, for me, I look at guys what got, and this is why I love Joe. Like the thing that makes me love Joe Judge the most is this square pig and round hole. I don't look at that and like, oh, this guy's play strength. Like obviously we want that to get better. I just look at what he does really well. It's like, man, that translates to the NFL. And it, and it sure did in his, his limited time. Justin, let's finish it off. With Josiah Tuepa. Wait, wait. I want to make my point about Washington because you said that was an easy interception, and I disagree. All right, go ahead, John. Really, really quickly. I want to invite all of you to rewatch that interception that he had against Washington. Go to your highlights as soon as you can because this ability that Conley has for his lack of false steps after the snap of the ball, it may have looked like an easy play to make, but that pick doesn't happen without a good sense of awareness as to what is going on around you. So that's all that I wanted to say because you said that it was an easy interception, and I kind of want to disagree because if you have somebody who has their feet in cement after the snap of the ball, that interception isn't made, that play, that good play isn't made. So even though it was a tip ball, I still think it was a good play, and Conley should have been credited more. So there and you go. He's going to can... have 11 interceptions next year because of 16-game pace stats. Boom. I know when I tweet that out, it's going to be like, <laughs> three games. Anyways, Josiah Tuefa, undrafted free agent out of the University of Texas, San Antonio. A guy who transfers from D-line to inside linebacker. He's another guy who played pretty aggressively uh, in his time in college. 
He only got one game of real snaps, Justin. That was against uh, the Minnesota Vikings, where he had 22 snaps. In fact, that was the only game he had defensive snaps. He had 22 snaps, three solo tackles, two tackles for a loss. Listen, I like Tuaif. I think he plays aggressive. I think he's a hard hitter. And he's an inside linebacker with real pass rush moves, not just like, oh, I just run into the gap and, and push. Like, he has actual pass rush moves, and that's something that stuck out. Now, at six at 6'1", 232 pounds, do I see it translating to the NFL? Probably not. But he is a guy I like and just want to, you know, he's a guy in camp. I want to see. I want to see what he does in preseason. And I'm, I'd be cool running with him as our number four inside linebacker. Um, and at a position, Justin, like we see in every single year, if you are the number four inside linebacker going into camp, unless you get hurt, you will start a game. It is a guarantee. You did say those. You did utter those words, Bobby Skinner. This is true. Um, Josiah Tuefa, very fun name to say. It took me a minute to learn the name, but now that I can say it, I love that I can say it. Um, Tuefa is another guy on the team where he's a very good form tackler. Uh, no, I don't say that about everybody, but you know, uh, Mayo, Michael Thomas, and Tuefa. I would rank those three guys as probably the best form tacklers on the team. When I made videos about Tuefa during the preseason. Uh, his uh, his fan base at uh, at his college uh, gave me some retweets and they gave me some love. So I'm a big fan of Josiah Tuefa. Yeah, big they fan. love him. His brother will come and find you too. Um, you know, they're they're Samoan. I'm I, I'm guessing Samoan. That is definitely um, racial profiling. Ooh. Um, but I'm gonna say Samoan. Much better football player than Yawani Unga. All right, we're just gonna we're just gonna compare him to every Samoan guy. Is he better than Xavier Suefilio? Uh, who was a guard for the Texans for some time? Say 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 that name again. Xavier Sue S U apostrophe Afilo. I went to a camp with him when we were visiting the University of Miami. No big deal. Anyways, Justin, let's kick it to our interview with Kevin Zeitler. Kevin Zeitler was a good guest. Now these guys are kind of trained to never give like anything crazy, which we weren't asking for anything crazy. I definitely do think he liked you more than me. What do you think, Justin? I, I'm just a lovable guy. I'm a sweet guy. Um, and Bobby, sometimes you can be a bit of a, a bit of a meanie. Uh, just ask, uh, just ask uh, uh, PFF Sam. What's my two can Sam? Have you ever weird that like in his that guy's profile picture he has like the stripes, which are the same as the two can Sam uh, for the cereal? I could care less, Bobby. He retweeted me, uh, and he gave me credit for uh, that for a blog that I wrote where I basically said that he, he was didn't lazy. Even read it. He didn't even read it. I I think he read the first few sentences where I complimented Pro Football Focus and then didn't read the final paragraphs where I called them lazy. So I Just won. Just proving your point that he's lazy. All right. Um, <laughs> Kevin so Zeitler. Kev Kevin Zeitler, a good interview. Our first player interview of the offseason. Transition. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, we now welcome on to the program New York Giants offensive lineman, offensive guard, Kevin Zeitler. Kevin, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Like I, I told you before the show, we've had on every position group but O-line the QB, and I'm an offensive line guy. So it's, it's good to get you on finally um, after you know a weird Giants year, but glad to have you on. Kevin, I want to tell you this and see what your thoughts are. Do you realize that you are the – the most well-received Dave Gettleman move of his time here. And listen, we're not like anti-Dave Gettleman guys, but out of all the moves, yours, your move was the one like, okay, that's, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I hadn't really thought about it, you know. 
But, uh, you know, I'm glad to be there and do whatever I can do. And if it looks good on him, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot, you know, you know how New York fans are. They get kind of get kind of wild. So when you moved, came over, it was universally like, oh, wow, that's that's a good a good signing or a good trade. And you, you don't see that from New York fans too often. <laughs> Kev, first of all, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking uh, time out of your day to come sit down with us. I'm the biggest fan of New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. Um, I try to stay away from New York City uh, as much as humanly possible because I hate large crowds. But go figure, I'm a Giants regular season ticket holder, but I hate large crowds. Um, so I want to hear about your transition over to the tri-state area. I want to hear how that's been. Uh, how does it stack up compared to Ohio and Wisconsin? You know, If you want to grade it on food, if you want to grade it on lifestyle, uh, maybe date spots with the wife if you want to compare it between the couple places. Uh, you know, give it, give it a grade. How'd your transition over been? Um, it was, it went incredibly well. Um, when we first heard we were getting traded to New York, you know, it's like, wow, okay, this is New York. It's uh different, you know, being in Cincinnati and then uh, Cleveland, but then like growing up in Wisconsin, no, never been anything around it. So, you know, we were both a little like, uh, curious what it was going to be like, but we found a great place in Jersey. We we're up in Paramus and then we uh, ventured into the city a bunch because, you know, we're like, we don't know how long we're going to be. You just never know in this league. So it's like, you want to try everything. And we've had a great time exploring the city, exploring Jersey. And I mean, I'd say it's been an A plus all around. So Kevin, you like, you, like Justin said, you're new to the New York, New Jersey area or about a year now. The fans can be kind of brutal and you were well liked. Like, you know, like we said before, you can't find anything really negative against you. But there is a lot of negativity toward the Giants and like a guy on your, you know, on your team, Nate Solder, like he comes under a lot, a lot of fire, and you know, it's kind of heartbreaking with the stuff that goes on with his family and 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 things like that. I mean, how do you guys like talk about that in the locker room and deal with it? Because like, you know, obviously you guys try and block out as much as you can, but you can't get all of it out of there. I mean, when you're going through a tough season, you know, it's hard. You know, it's going to happen. You know, fans have high expectation. New York Giants are a historical franchise. You know, Super Bowls are expected. You know, the best you need need to be the best for New York to like, you know, accept you. And the chances are that someone will still be yelling about you if that happens. Um, so, you know, I think just as the team, you know, as teams do, you know, we try to focus on what's in the locker room, our building, you know, trying to fix what's at hand because we know if we take care of that, you know, all the other stuff takes care of itself. Now that you've come over, you with the Giants, you with a guy like Daniel Jones, who's quiet and you come over from the Cleveland Browns, who became one of the loudest teams in the NFL. Now, in the offseason, Baker Mayfield said some things about Daniel Jones and how do they draft him. I mean, did you have to go over to Daniel and be like, hey, I'm, so, I'm sorry about my dumb friend when, when that, all that happened? Uh, no. I mean, you know, for Daniel being quiet, he's always so focused. He's ready. He, he's not going to let anything like that ever bug him. He's just focused on, you know, becoming the best QB he can be, you know, getting the Giants, you know, in the right direction. How was it with Baker? Because obviously Baker, you know, he had a, a pretty good first year with you, and then you know things fell off. I mean, what do you what do you think about his personality? Just is like either everyone loves him or they can't stand him. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm kind of the can't stand them both. Uh, I had a great time with Baker. You know, being Cleveland, what we had gone through the year before, you know, it was refreshing. You know, we had things uh, starting to turn around over there, and you know, he was fiery. He was leader. He was you know playing very well, and you know. I'm all for, you know, QB's playing well. <laughs> I was I was re-watching uh, an interview that you had uh, with, you know, website of the Giants, and this was an interview that the website of the Giants put out earlier in the year. So you you basically, almost your entire career, you were working with quarterbacks who were, who were on their rookie deals. 
So how was that transition coming to the Giants, particularly going through this camp with Eli Manning and seeing the way that he was a veteran quarterback in that regard? Uh, how, how was that uh, exposure to working with the veteran quarterback? How was that for you? Um, it was cool. You know, um, by far he was the most veteran and he's had so much success. And he was so smart. And, you know, that came in real handy during training camp, especially when you're going against your defense day in, day out. He can switch some things up. You know, so it was uh, definitely different, you know, because obviously I had Dalton the first uh, couple of years and, you know, he was, you know, year six when I was year five. So he is a veteran, too. So, you know, it's nice, you know, you pick up things as you play the game. And I'm excited to see, you know, what Daniel picks up, you know, going into his second year. Some things have changed up and can't wait to see what he can do. Right. Now, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your journey in football uh, and basically how Kevin Zeitler became Kevin Zeitler to this day. When did you know that football could be something that you could do in the long run or something that you could pursue as a career? Was it at Wisco, which, by the way, I have to add, you know, your high school and your nickname for your high school, Wisco, uh, it's one of the best nicknames for a high school that I've ever come across. Uh, so football is funny. Like, uh, I didn't care about football at all. Like, I got some fun with it, like, seventh and eighth grade, but I really almost didn't even play football going into my freshman year. Like, the only turnaround was I had some friends from 7th and 8th grade that kind of like, well, I guess I could play again. And I didn't, like, think of it ever as um, something I would, like, you know, continue playing. I just thought I'd play high school ball and be done. But it was weird having through my freshman year the national championship games on. It's Oklahoma, USC, the one the USC just blew them out. And I didn't even watch football that often other than, like, Wisconsin Badger football. And I don't know, something's flipped in my head right there. And it was kind of, I always say, the aha moment. You know, the hair stands up at the back here and neck. Mm -hmm. Something just changed. I don't know, from that day forth, it was all about training to play. I want to play D1 football. I want to play D1 football. And that's what started. And then I was lucky enough to have great coaching, a great culture at Wisco. We won three state championships when I was there. So really, like, you know, set that belief. You know, you have the right culture. You work hard. You get the whole team working hard. Like, great things happen. And it was – um you know, great, great time over there. Is there any guys that you've like kind of looked up to in the start of your league? And then now is there guys that you kind of lean on? Like, like a friend of ours is Rich Soybert, who was a, a giant, great, you know, Super Bowl champion. And he comes around the team every once in a while. I mean, is there any guys from other teams that you like are constantly in contact with, you know, specifically on the O-line spot? Uh, I mean, not so much uh, in contact with, but, you know, you see the guys on film, you know, the guys you want to see, like when you're watching game film for the week, you want to see how, certain like uh O-line play against the defense and what things they did well what things worked you know so you do that all across the league and whatnot is joe thomas as corny as he seems <laughs> he likes to have some fun you know he likes <laughs> to say what's on his mind but you know no matter what he said he obviously could back up anything he said on the field so you know, I, he had the right to be that way he's always done that but you know you see him on nfl network now and you see him around a guy like steve smith and you could tell he's uncomfortable here and there but i mean he does a good job <laughs> And then Steve Smith will pop back at him, and he's like, I'm not used to people talking to me like yeah, this. So absolutely. I always, I always notice him with that. Uh, another guy on the team who was kind of a bright spot, Nick Gates. And he kind of came out of nowhere. After the first preseason game, he came on a lot of people's radar. You know, he filled in for you in your one game that you missed and did well and did a good job of right tackle against the Jets. What do you see that clicked for him where he went from this undrafted guy, like not even on the radar for the 53-man roster, to someone people are excited about? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing just throughout the year, he was always steady. Like, uh, he always had great technique, you know, from OTAs to training camp. And, you know, he was just steady the whole time. So whenever, you know, he needed to come in, we weren't worried, you know. 
when I went down, I couldn't play, you know, I was like, I knew Nick would be fine. You know, that was a good feeling to have, like, when I can't walk and it's like, okay, Nick can go. This is, we're going to be all right. I'll be back soon enough. And, you know, it's a good feeling to have a guy like that. And then he can play, you know, tackle and guard. Like, that's huge. You know, that's invaluable to a team because, as you can see, you just never know what's going to happen with, you know, my ankle, then Red missing a game. It's just like, you never know. You mentioned, you know, the technique of Nick Gates, but one of the things that I absolutely love about you uh, is it's your obsession over technique uh, and your form and your craft as an offensive lineman. Uh, it's truly an art form, just the way that you move and the way that you're able to flow to, from one level to the next in the run game and then able to, you know, basically move in your pass sets from one from one defender to the next in your pass sets. It's uh, it's like you're walking on water. You know, that's yeah. that's how really that's that's how smooth it is. Um, and even Carl Banks commented on in a video about your game. You have great eye and foot connection so this isn't really even a, a question about your technique as a whole but uh, i think your you know your wife has kind of gone viral on twitter a few different times about uh, the origin of practicing your pass sets whether it's in the living room with your with your lovely daughter or it's you know taking advantage of practice fields on the soccer field or when you're on vacation so what's the origin of practicing your pass sets what would some some may seem to be weird in inopportune times what he's asking is are you doing that for just to show off kevin Oh, no. Um, so I think that stemmed from, so back when I was at, in high school at Wisco, that um, we were a triple option offensive team. So I never really did true pro style pass sets. We all we did was play action and, you know, all that good stuff. So when I got to Wis the, the University of Wisconsin, you know, I had so much to learn, you know, because I really, I came to Wisconsin. And I like, I wanted to like play. I wanted to be the starter. I wanted to be like, on the wall there like that was my goal coming in so i just knew i had to learn how to do it so i was like after my freshman year you know we just we had a lot of depth there at wisconsin and i was like okay i'm like second string third string so i need to you know i'm in my mind i didn't get to redshirt so i'm like i'm already running out of time here so it really was just coming down to like okay i gotta get really really good i'm want to do this, this is what i want to do so I mean, almost, I don't know, an hour to two hours a day, I'd be up alone in the indoor practice field on my own, in addition to weight training and speed training and all that good stuff. I'd be up there working on my pass sets like that, taking it seriously, mentally picturing it, trying to learn how to snap when they try to make me a center. Didn't work. So it was like, it just became natural. Like, so that, doing that extra work was just part of the day and, you know, just a constant, you know, always trying to work on that. I don't know why it always seems like, for me, in my mind, I guess, you know, it's always hard for me to keep my technique than other guys, so I need to keep working on it constantly to keep everything working the right way. When did you start practicing the hop in your stance? I think that came, like, in seventh grade, that little, I don't know, I always thought. Did it like, drive coaches crazy? I think so, and I feel bad about it, <laughs> but it's like, it's been seventh grade, it's like ingrained, so I think I do a good job managing it overall like you know where it doesn't affect anything but you know just is what it is i remember your first preseason do game doing it and i was like that was a false start what's going on there and then they don't call <laughs> it and i think your wife even put out like oh yeah he's done that forever uh, yeah so I, kinda... it's a, I don't know i just happened i don't know i was all kind of like locking into the stance after the bounce i don't know uh, but who knows? Speaking of preseason, do you remember turning the guy in the Bengals helmet around on the on this on a single certain play? Um, I do. Um, because it freaked me out. I was like, "Oh God, are you all right?" <laughs> what was? What did that. he say? <laughs> he didn't say a thing. He just tried to get it around. But uh, 
That was, uh, you know, that's the crazy thing. You never know when a helmet's going to get stuck like that and something wild's going to happen. Yeah, that, that was that was a pretty cool play. I, I, I'll send you the highlight if, if you want. <laughs> uh, um, so, I mean, what do you see with this Giants team, like, being just offense? I don't want to, you know, ask you about the defense. What do you see, like, going into next year that's like, okay, we got to do this for it to click, you know, that we didn't do in this past season? Uh, I mean – you know, there's so many. I'm curious, you know, to meet everyone when I get back there. You know, I am can't wait to hear about what the game plan is. What are we all about? You know, I'm excited to see, like, what things change. But just knowing from the personnel standpoint and the guys we do have and that are coming back, like, we got, stuff. you know, people at every position. We've got elements to succeed. Now, whatever, we just got to put it all together and, uh, you know, make sure we convert it to a bunch of wins because we're capable. Have you gotten to talk with Joe Judge yet? Uh, I have not. I haven't. Uh, uh, Coach Colombo had reached out. He's the only one so far. But um, whenever I get back, I'll make sure to meet everyone and see what they're all about. Uh, when you do get talk to Colombo next time, ask him what was going through his mind when he tried to start a fight with Brandon Jacobs, who's one like as Giants fans we know is one of the craziest dudes of all time. I, I got to know what's <laughs> going through his head when he when he goes to do that. <laughs> all right, I'll make sure to bring that up. Justin. Do you know? Uh, do you know that uh, Mark Colombo has a metal band named Free Rain? I actually did. I uh, had read like that to the higher. I read a couple of the articles uh-huh. and I uh, heard about that. So, do you like metal? Um, I have a good amount in my uh, music library for oh, uh, training okay. and whatnot. I can't. I can't stand. I I played ball in Minnesota and coming down from Florida, the locker room just completely changed. Where it went from you know rap, hip hop to metal. I I listen. I'm not gonna hate, but. I'm gonna hate. I can't. I can't stand metal music. <laughs> Kevin, I want to. I, I kind of want to bring, um, bring kind of this mindset now, kind of into the locker room a little bit. Uh, I feel it's as fans, it's tougher to get in, a look inside a locker room uh, and let the personalities of certain players shine through. So, in your mind, in your opinion, uh, what is something that you can share about a football locker room, a team culture, uh, a team environment that the average fan doesn't know about or can't see? I mean, you know, obviously the season was rough, but, you know, the guys in the locker room were all locked in, you know. We were still competing. We were finding ways to compete on the field, off the field, you know, at practice. Everything was, you know, people were working, you know. It wasn't like anyone had given up. Everyone was working to, you know, try to get the things, you know, started, finished strong and all that good stuff. Who, who's your best friend on the team? Oh, I mean, I love my line guys. They're all great. You, you know, gotta pick one though. There's always like uh, there's always a favorite kid. You gotta pick a favorite. I, I mean, I loved uh, Pio and I loved you know Remmers. You know, okay. the guys you know play right next to me. You know, they're great. You know, and then yeah. like the rest of the guys are great too. You know, <laughs> it's fun to hang out with them all. Yeah, the offensive line is like a tightest group, and like the guys from those giant Super Bowl teams, like they are tight. I mean, I'm sure you've seen them. they hang out on the sideline. They're like best friends, and like we've yeah. gotten to talk with some of them. It's the one position you know I played it. That it's just they're the family, and you know, like if you guys end up pulling this thing out, like you guys become legends in Giants history. Um, now, when a thing like the Janoris Jenkins incident happens, and it was something where I was like, okay, I think it, it was media making a bigger deal of it, but like, what's the conversation in the locker room when you know, I'm not gonna ask you like to say if you thought if it was a big deal or not, but when he's cut and you know, that's that was a young group with one veteran, what's what's the atmosphere like after that? I mean, you know, it was a weird, different situation. I don't think I've been a part of anything like that. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. You know, ownership made a decision, and, you know, we move forward. 
even though there's a lot of young guys, you know, we expected um, them to step up, and some of them did great things. So, Kev, I want to once again, I want to thank you for being here. Um, we'll we're we're close we're close to wrapping up, uh, but I want to something that another podcast in our media company asks whenever they have some of their guests on, um, and that media and that uh, podcast is Talking Yanks. They like to ask people this question. So imagine the team gets together for a barbecue. So who is playing what role at the barbecue? Who's the grill master? Um, who takes cornhole and can jam way too seriously? Uh, who's in the pool for the entire day? Who's the DJ? Who's the guy showing up late, definitely forgetting to bring the potato salad? So uh, okay. give, give us some roles here. <laughs> I mean, if we're thinking O-line, I'd be the host. Like, I'd host it, no doubt. Mm-hmm. We know you guys hosted Thanksgiving, so. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. Um, Will Hernandez would be, like, the DJ. A mix between him and Nate would definitely be the DJ. Uh, Spencer, Pulley, and Mike Remmers would be ultra competitive over everything, no matter what. Um, pool all day. I mean, I think the old line just likes being in the pool all day. We're big yeah. and heavy men. We like that. <laughs> Who, who's keeping their shirt on? No one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I tell you, the two guys, when you, you know, I, maybe when you see uh, Jalapio and Hernandez stand next to each other, and I know they do it on purpose, but they look like some dudes who are just ready to go on a kill streak. It's unbelievable the way those well, guys the, can look uh, in their two pictures. They're the strength cartel brothers. Yes, they are. <laughs> I looked up the address to that gym, and I think it was like – in California, and it was like most hated boulevard. It was like a very scary address. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, those two are the Bash brothers. So did they did they have do they have kind of like that relationship together where you almost get like that Bash brothers type of feeling? Oh, absolutely. Those two are great and they uh, obviously do some great things bashing people on the field. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so we'll finish it off um here with the next couple questions. What kind of beer do you keep in your fridge? Um I'm not a big beer guy, but the one beer I do have, it's uh, only sold in Wisconsin. It's called a Spa Cow. It's just the perfect beer, I would say. Okay. And a lot of people, um, the teams I've been, like in Cincy, Cleveland, here, they always try to get me to buy cases and bring it back with me so they can get some. Now, I don't want to put you in the spot, but do you guys have do you have plans on going to the, the softball game that license plate guy runs? Um, I don't know about all right, well, well, we'll have to get you involved. Now, last year it was a, it was a it was a trend of offensive linemen chugging beers at basketball and baseball games. So you know, this is for you. This definitely isn't for me to gain followers. But if you want to go to a Yankee game with me, we'll do a beer chug, make a video. You know, we'll we'll try and get get you back in the spotlight with that. I do want to go to a Yankees game. I've yet to try, do that. So all right, Thursday, May twenty eighth, we'll go. We have we have the top Yankee podcasts in our, like our network, Dave. They have, like, 20,000 reviews. Anyways, I will say, I cut my teeth being named, like, as a Daniel Jones guy, breaking down his stuff. That's where I kind of gained my following. Now, for I'm eventually going to try and get his phone number. How was that conversation? How did that go about when you find, when you got Daniel Jones' number? Who 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 started that? I got, I think, uh, most of the lineman guy's number when he's like, hey, come uh, grab dinner with me at, uh, I think it was the Palm Steakhouse. You know, so he wanted to reach out and try to get some food. So I think that's how, like, all the alignment guys number right off the bat. So who who had the better um, gift for the offensive lineman, Eli or Daniel Jones? Oh, I mean, they were both great. I mean, Eli was a nice Yeti cooler. Daniel was some nice, like, 
nice backpack and a duffel. So we're definitely uh, ready to, uh, to travel anywhere with anything, ready to go. So, so Eli, you, we'll say it for you. Now, <laughs> you, now, we told you before, we're not trying to get, like, you know, a headline or, uh, you know, and just random clicks onto this. But you want you want to give Daniel Jones a call? Right now? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I'm good. Uh, well, just tell him, tell him Bobby said hi. Okay. Like I said, I've cut myself on the, on the Daniel Jones thread. Now, unless you want to rethink that and call him, I, th I think we're done here, Kev. Uh, I'm good. You know, I'm sure he's uh, busy. Uh, he's probably busy training or something or studying film. Well, he's down in Miami doing an event. You know, I'm, I'm three hours north. Anyways, uh, it, it was worth the try. You were the first try of the offseason. It's yeah. going to happen. It's going to happen eventually. And we're just not going to be best friends because of that. Kevin, okay. appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you giving us our time. Um, and man, good luck in this off season and the season, and we're uh, we're hoping for the best. Awesome, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Kevin. A player on the Giants touched my butt. All right, thanks again, Kevin Zeitler, for coming on. The quest for Daniel Jones' phone number continues. It's going to happen. Well, not his phone number, but we're going to get someone to call him on the show eventually. It's going to happen. What's the What's he going to do? He's not. He wasn't training at eight o'clock at night, Kevin. Even though you hated that question. Um, it's just not true. He wasn't training. He was in Miami. Could have given him a call. This is going bad. I'm accusing our right guard of being a liar. And I think he's a great guy, to be honest. Here, I have an idea. I have an idea. Leave a five-star rating on the Apple Podcast app and tell us which Giants player is most likely to call Daniel Jones if we were to interview them on Talking Giants. That is a good idea. That is a good idea. And we're closing in on the top spot. We do appreciate you guys. Um, Tweet at Kevin saying, hey, man, loved you on Talking Giants. That kind of stuff helps. We'll see you guys on Friday. Until then, let's go Big Blue.